Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Welcome to the Open Mic Podcast with your host, Brett Allen. Join us each week as Brett interviews extraordinary and amazing people. At the Open Mic, no topic is off limits, and you never know who will drop by. Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. What's up, everybody? Microphone check, one, two, one, two, coming at you live from the Bay Area studios. We are live. It's a brand new episode. This is not a repeat. This is not an out-of-the-archives episode. This is brand new. Rachel Peterson is my guest. She is the social media queen. She is all over social media, and she manages so many different things. She's one of the nicest and most amazing people that I've ever met. And I actually interviewed her, it's been about six months. And just kind of to give you an update, I've just had so many issues, moving issues, family issues, health issues, just every kind of issue that needs a tissue that you could possibly imagine. And I just want to give a shout out to my boys, Eric Conley and Larry Roberts, uh, Veronica Davis over at Pod Sound School, just so many people who have supported me through this whole thing. And I actually did a pod out it the other night, and I really want to have them on the show the pod sound school because I want to talk some more about some things, but it really just kind of lit the fire uh, in my belly to get back to doing this and just really, 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 really just embrace who I am as a podcaster and what I'm meant to do and who I'm supposed to interview and just really, 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 really love it. I know I'm saying that word a lot, but it's really how I feel. And I'm excited to be here. Rachel Peterson is my guest. As I mentioned, she is the queen of social media And we did this interview a while ago, but it's still super relevant. Since then, she's just gone on to do more and more amazing things. She is now a TikTok master. That's a thing. When we recorded the last time, TikTok, I think, had just really kind of started. And now it's just exploded. And uh, it's just it's the new Instagram, the new Facebook, I think. I don't think it's going to take over those things necessarily, but it certainly is super popular and all of that sort of thing. But we just talked about social media strategy. We talked about being an influencer, an entrepreneur, just everything you can imagine. It is a very, very good conversation. And I'm excited for you to check it out. Again, thanks to everybody who has continued to support the show and follow us. We've got new branding. We've got new music. It's just all super exciting. A brand new website, theopenmicpodcast.show. All that information will be available at the end, but I don't want to waste any more time. Rich Peterson, welcome in to the Open Mic Podcast. It's good to have you here today. Brett, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Well, we were talking off air and, you know, Rachel is very savvy when it comes to interviews and it's sometimes you could get talking with people and before you know it, 45 minutes have gone by and I think it's great maybe in some situations to do that, but with someone like Rachel or other people who do this a lot and they know how this goes and you kind of lose, I don't know, pizzazz a little bit about conversation and you kind of lose authenticity. So I love it when a guest goes, let's just jump right in and do it. And so here we are. Now, Rachel is, you have this title, the social media queen. I mean, you go online, you Google your name, you even say this in your bio and your website. There you are. And it's so true. But before we get into that, you've had quite a busy year, a busy summer, Let's talk about that because you travel a lot. You're all over the place, whether it's for work or pleasure or maybe a combination of both. What have you been up to lately? Where in the world 
as Rachel Peterson been? Literally all around the world. Um, you know what's so crazy, Brett? And by the way, thank you so much for having me. Like, I'm, I know that you were working to get this on the books for a long time. Yes. I really appreciate you um, working with my crazy schedule. So literally three years ago, my passport was empty. And when I look at it now, there's stamps from all around the world. And that's so exciting and such an incredible privilege, to be honest. It's wonderful. It's great. But we've been over the last year, goodness gracious, to like, oh, I mean, I have to remember we've been to Jamaica, Puerto Rico. Although Puerto Rico was when I was pregnant. Over the last two years, we've been to like Puerto Rico, India, Jamaica, Dominican Republic, Mexico, um, Santorini, Greece, Greece was incredible, Munich, like we've been all over, but thankfully we're in a phase of life where, and I've chosen to not travel as much because it's kind of, it's hard on your family. It's hard on your body. I'm not complaining. It's wonderful. It's great. But I went from going on two to nine trips per month down to one to two trips per month, which is a drastic difference. Now that's big. Holy cow. Oh my goodness. It's manageable, which I appreciate. And you take your family pretty much everywhere, right? Your husband and your children, they go with you everywhere you go. I take my husband, a better way to put it is my husband comes, comes with, and he's an active part of our business. Okay. He now goes with me all the time for so many different reasons, for, for safety, for companionship. I love that I'm never alone. I get to spend time with him, and it feels like we get date nights while we're traveling. I don't bring my kids because it is very challenging for me to be in business mode on a trip and then sure. back to parent mode, and I do better if I can just focus on the trip and then come back. We brought the, oh my gosh, Brett, we brought all three kids to Greece. <laughs> I do not know what we were thinking. I mean, our kids were eight, four, and one. Oh my goodness. I, oh my gosh. It sounds as crazy as it was. I do not, I will, that was a once in a lifetime experience until the kids are teens. Never again. <laughs> I have a five-year-old. He, he turns five today. So I understand what it's like to even go to like the grocery store or pay a cell phone bill, whatever. And to take a toddler with you is just, if you don't have kids and you're listening and you don't get this and, and Rachel and I can see each other, we're just looking at each other like, yeah, I get it. So like if you're trying to travel halfway across the world and you're trying to do business and you've, your husband obviously is a part of your company and your kids are there, it's hard to go. Mommy's trying to prepare for, you know, it's just crazy. I don't know how you know how you guys do it. It's it's crazy. It's insane. I keep using that word, but that's what comes to my mind because you're doing so much um, and you're just everywhere all the time. Um, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yes. How do you find balance when you're doing all this? Where is that lie for you? Because there has to be some sort of offlet for you when you've got all this happening, which these are all amazing things, by the way. Thank you. One thing I'll be totally honest about um, is I think most people assume that every area of my life is incredibly balanced. And that's not true. I've always believed in seasons. Like there's different seasons for different things. And I'm in a season where 
ages eight, four, and one, this is a challenging season, especially as our one-year-old is the most active child I've ever met in my life. I didn't realize how active my son would be. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Our kids are really well behaved, but most people assume that like, I'm a great mom and I'm a great, you know, like active parent in my kids schooling and their activities. And I'm a great friend. And no, that's actually not true. I know what this season of life is. And I think that that's a huge part of why we've been able to do so much. This season of life is about my family. So first my marriage, then my kids, and then my business. And all three of those can coincide very well. But if you were to say, I also had an incredibly active social life with tons of friends. That's not true. Um, I don't get to spend two weeks going on a for just for pleasure vacation in this season. It's either family or business Mm -hmm. or else it just doesn't fit right now. And I feel like that's something most people need to hear because we assume that just because someone's killing it in a couple areas means they're killing it in every area. I've had to say no to a lot of the things that I would love to do right now. But I also recognize I'm still young and I have next year, I have five years from now, I have 10 years from now. So Brett, like the secret is you can't do everything all at once all the time. Now, do you get tired of doing interviews? I I, I feel like that's a a good question. I, I like to ask that because I know everybody wants you and everybody wants to talk to you about how to do this, how to hack that. But does there ever come a point where you just, you go, I, I don't want to do this right now. If you don't want to answer that, that's fine. If you do, yeah. that would be awesome. I, but, <laughs> I'm a totally open book. Um, there was a season where I went really hard on interviews, like really hard. I'm talking four to five a day for a long time. And I really burnt out on interviews after that season. And it wasn't because I don't love interviews. I love interviews so much. Like I get really excited knowing one's coming up, knowing you're going to be asking awesome questions. What was tough about that push to be on lots of podcasts was that there were a lot of people who were new to podcasting, people who were too afraid to ask really good questions, to ask the questions that they wanted to ask. Mm-hmm. You could tell like they were all following the same templates and you know exactly when it's going to happen when it starts with tell me your story. Oh yeah, that's And yeah, I don't want to hate on people cuz everyone No, but that's I mean that's a fair thing because if you talk to people like Jordan Harbinger or like all of these really I would consider them to be professional guests. They hate those questions because it's like, oh, it's going to be one of those kinds of interviews. I'll tell you, I'll, I ask a lot of questions and I've had guests go, mm, I really don't want to talk about that. And I'm cool with that. But I feel a sense of accomplishment because I at least asked a question that I felt like I wanted to. I kind of go through this thing now where I'll ask people, if I get pitched by a publicist, you know, I'm like, well, you're pitching me, so anything's open book. And But I will ask sometimes, is there anything that you don't want to talk about? I've had guests where there's been previous things that have happened in their life that they really don't want to talk about, and I'm cool with that. So I really appreciate your candor and honesty. So not to cut you off, but I get it. It's like, uh, what's your favorite book? You know, who inspired you to, you know, and those are those are questions, I guess. I get it. So you're kind of particular then about who you choose to to interview with, I would imagine, right? Especially yeah. with the limited time that you have. 
Definitely. I think one of the things that's important to recognize is that I don't choose who I'm interviewed by based on audience size. That's not what matters to me. Like I'd rather show up on a podcast where there's 20 listeners, but we're going to have some good conversation and it's actually fun than showing up on a podcast that has 10,000 listeners, but they're going to ask me the same questions. Like that's when I burn out is when it's the same 10 questions over and over. And I'm like, can we talk about Taco Bell? Could we talk about anything? Like, let's, let's talk about my hair. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Let's just talk about something. Let's talk about your hair. Like, can we just talk about anything else? Cause I want to get to know the people who are podcasting me. Like I love that already, like you just jumped right in and we started just talking Mm -hmm. and like, this feels like a two way conversation, which Brett, I appreciate and speaks to me about your confidence as a host. Well, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. And it, I mean, it, it comes with practice. You know, I've, I've gone from interviewing my friends that I want to talk about to people like yourself who are, you know, other celebrities or whatever, like high-level entrepreneurs. I, I talked to Evan Carmichael, just so many different people because I, I just want to get to know. And that's kind of why I, we talked about this and I, I want to talk about this. We, we can just transition to this the whole idea of social media and rebranding and, and, and that sort of thing. But first, I, again, going back to your family, you, 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 you talk about your life, your marriage, how you met your husband, all of that. That's very personal and intimate information. Is that easy for you to share that kind of stuff to your audience? Because, I mean, you see the Rachel Peterson that's, you know, hanging out with, you know, Tim Ferriss or Russell Brunson, these folks but then you see you're on vacation with your family and you talk about your husband and your marriage and your courtship. Like, how did you decide this is something that I wanted to talk so publicly about? I mean, and I have a couple follow-up questions to that as well. Yeah, great. I mean, I love that train of thought. Um, one of the things that I made a decision of, very, a decision, I guess, about very early on was how I wanted to present myself. Like, mm-hmm. And there was an interview I saw by Jim Carrey and he was, I think it's this documentary where he talked about how when you create a facade or a persona, everyone might love you. Yeah. Actually love you. They love the persona that you create. And recently he kind of cracked through that surface. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Or a lot of it. I mean, it's, it's pretty intense if you look at some of his interviews and he said, Oh goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's good. But he said, either you have to decide, am I going to kill that persona or am I going to die and take that to the grave Mm -hmm. as my secret, knowing I never lived it as myself. And that terrifies me. That terrifies me. So one mentor that we have who's incredible, his name's Bart. He said, I want you guys to make a list of everything in your lives that you are comfortable talking about. And we started the process and all of a sudden I looked at my husband and I was like, I'm comfortable talking about everything except for these couple of key points. I think it's easier for us to make a list of what we don't want to talk about publicly. Sure. Yeah. Together we came up with a list of four things that we don't talk about publicly. And that doesn't mean we won't always, but those are those four things that we don't touch on. And our list of what we will talk about is everything else, which Mm -hmm. is pretty cool. Yeah, I think that Jim Carrey documentary, as someone who likes to interview people in in a professional 
podcaster and, and journalist, I would say on some levels, I like watching how other people talk to celebrities and that there's like a, there, there's a finesse that you have to learn how to talk to people where you can ask questions and push the envelope a bit, but still be respectful and not just, you know, feel like you're attacking them. But I, I think what I noticed about you is I've, I've never seen somebody, there are a couple others, one that I'm a good friend with and I kind of help her with other things too, but you just, you're very transparent about all of that. And I think that's what makes you different than most others out there who do what you do because you don't just have this facade and this is Rachel, you know, outside of your content, you just, you're very real and honest about everything. And I think that helps people connect with you on a different level <clears throat> instead of buy my product, uh, you know, and I'll help you become successful on social media, which everybody wants anyway. Right. But I think it's, it's about bringing value and, and that sort of thing. So we're talking about risk. Let's talk about risk. Why is it that you feel, why, why do you think people struggle with taking risk so much when it comes to anything in life, whether it's business or relationships, like how did you break through to that point? We touched on it briefly, but I would love to hear just kind of what steps you went through to break through that and just be able to go, here I am, here's my life, here's my business. It's all one particular thing. Oh, so I was watching this incredible documentary the other night that explained a lot of this so well. And it, it is called, it's hard to find, but it's called Finding Me. Okay. And Finding Me, it interviews Deepak Chopra, Robin Sharma, Rashida Jones, Gay Hendricks, like so many people oh, wow. whose books I've really loved. And they're diving into Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Okay. And one of the things that we all face, we all think it's just once, but we all think that we're going to face fear and either choose the easier path or what we think is the easier path or we are going to slay that dragon of fear and start on this journey. Now, one of the things that is so hard for entrepreneurs to discover is that it's not a one and done. No. Fear keeps showing up as a bigger dragon, as a bigger challenge, as a, a bigger obstacle. And you have to continually look fear in the face. And I used to have this belief that you could be fearless, but I didn't realize that that's not true. I just hadn't faced a big enough dragon to make me scared again, you know? <laughs> and then sure. I faced it. I found it. Um, it roared and breathed fire on me and burned my, the ends of my hair. But it's, it was so crazy because I, I discovered that you cannot truly discover what it is to be courageous until you're faced with fear. And courage is not a lack of fear. Courage is what it takes to go through it. And I think sometimes we think, oh, if I avoid this fear, I won't discover it somewhere else. But it always presents itself to us throughout our lives. So when we have this perceived risk, I think the risk is actually a heightened fear. I mean, let's think about what the risk really is. And to solve this, I kind of go through this game called um, what's, the worst case what's the worst case possible scenario? Um, worst possible case scenario. But anyways, I, I go through this and I say, okay, so if this completely fails, 
what is the worst case scenario that could possibly happen? And I imagine, okay, we lose our house, we lose our business, we lose our team, we lose our everything. Okay, so what would we do? Well, for starters, I know that I can catch fish. I know that I don't know how to hunt, but I could probably go to the library, borrow a computer, discover how to hunt, and I would, if I needed to, um, we've watched Survivor, we could probably build a shelter, we would definitely travel via hitchhiking if needed, or we would <laughs> take the money in our savings and buy an, a, a van, you know, like a big old hippie van. Or an RV. <laughs> or an RV, and then we would hop in there go down south so that we didn't have to deal with the cold. So I started to go through these scenarios and I discovered that when you actually face what that fear is and what that risk is, and you create a, a, a plan for if that were to happen, it's kind of invoking the methods of Sun Tzu, who is the art of war. Sun Tzu basically tells you all throughout the book, you need to prepare for whatever is going to happen. And when you do that, you're like, you almost don't see it as a bad thing. It's like, oh, that's just the other plan if this is what happens. It's no longer something that's out of your control. When you look at your fear and you take control of what can happen then, what will happen, what the plan is, that's not as scary. It's really not. And I think that would be the worst case scenario is you lose everything and you have to just figure things out. You know, I think too... Being a parent, that's just a natural instinct that we have when we have children. You know, my son's turning five today, and I remember when I was starting out, I had no clue what to do. And, you know, unfortunately, for whatever reason, you know, my, my marriage didn't work. And so then I got really nervous. Well, how am I going to raise a kid? And you just figure things out. You know, and you look at your skill set and you go, I can make this happen. You know, this is something that I'm just willing to do because you have all of these skill sets anyway from what you're doing, but you can fish. That's cool. Uh, you know, you had training as a Navy SEAL cadet, so you know how to scuba dive. So if you had to, you know, find a job, I don't know, whatever, you work in an aquarium, I guess. I have no idea. Whatever. You, whatever it takes, you would make it work. So... Along those same lines of thoughts, because you have reached such a level of success, in my opinion and from my perspective, and you're doing all these things, do you ever struggle with imposter syndrome? Like you just kind of feel like, wow, what am I doing? Absolutely. Um, it presents itself over and over again. Um, and, I, and I have to always remember, anytime that you're feeling this, there's it's a good sign. It means you're moving on. You're every time you feel imposter syndrome, start imagining as if you just got promoted. Because mm -hmm. anyone who's ever worked in a corporate job knows when you get promoted in your job, you suddenly feel like a massive imposter. You're like, I was comfortable in my last role and now I feel completely under equipped, not trained enough, not prepared, not experienced. Like it's a scary moment. So anytime you experience imposter syndrome, be like, congrats, I just got promoted. And now this is the important part because I, I believe in fake it till you make it as long as you actually make it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the key. Otherwise you become like a Ponzi scheme or you become like Elizabeth uh, Holmes of Theranos. So what you need to do then is start to recognize where do I feel weak? Where do I feel deficient? 
and then start to go out and acquire those skills. That's the second part that is so important that most people miss. You can't just be brave and just go for it. You have to actually say, where am I feeling deficient? Where do I not have the knowledge to support this? And then go get it, like no matter what it takes. And that's one of the things that we've done at every step is acquired new knowledge and new skills mm-hmm. over and over again. That is, I think that's so valuable and just constantly reinventing yourself and just trying to get better at what you do, you know, and you know, an overnight success that's taken 20 years to get where you are. I think that's the other part that most people miss is the fact that you didn't get here just by accident. You know, you've not necessarily, you know, you've worked really hard and you've built something that's incredible. So I want to talk about that a little bit. The life of an entrepreneur is so different and unique than most people. I've, I've had people describe it. It's like a virus. It's like a DNA. It's like something that's in your blood. You've worked with a lot of people and you've seen a lot of things. What are some of the mistakes or things that you see entrepreneurs do that they shouldn't necessarily do? If, and it's kind of a broad question. So I don't know if you've, you've seen anything like that or maybe even personal mistakes, whatever, kind of along those lines. Oh, there's so, there's so many. I feel like that's, it's a really open-ended question. Um, the first thing that come to mind, um, and it's just because I see it all the time when I scroll through my Facebook, there's a lot of, and I know this sounds cliche, but there's a lot of negativity sure. in our Facebook feeds. I would agree. Like, yeah, you see it and you're like, it's not even necessarily like crazy intentional negativity, but it's like, people planting seeds of doubt and throwing rocks and using subtle persuasion by using this kind of overall negative messaging. And one of the things that I find is if you kind of start to watch who's saying it, it's the people who believe that they have hit the epitome. They will oftentimes say things like, yeah, I'm pretty successful. Yeah, I'm at the top. You know, like people didn't respect me when I was who I was before. And now that I'm, (laughs) well, you know, and like, you just kind of listen and you're like, holy smokes, like ego caught up to you and you are still a baby little guppy in this massive ocean of entrepreneurship. When I, whenever I start to think I'm cool, I just look at like the people who I really admire, the big people. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I have a long way to go. Yeah. Stopping, learning, not keeping your ego in check. Those are some of the biggest things that come to mind immediately. And you came from the corporate world. You were doing lots of other things before you did this. So at what point did you realize I'm an entrepreneur and I can actually do this and make something out of it? That realization came to me a couple times. Um, Honestly, Brett, the craziest thing was, I don't know if you experienced this too, but I've heard this from a lot of entrepreneurs. When I had a job working at a restaurant, I imagined opening a restaurant someday. Okay. At a hair salon, I imagined opening a hair salon someday. So I think that that gut feeling was there from the time I was like 18, maybe even, yeah, no, 18 years old. That gut feeling was there. Did you ever have that? I think so. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of at that place right now where I'm on the, crusp of like trying to figure out how to do this full time. I mean, I've talked to so many entrepreneurs and obviously to make money in a podcast, there's two ways. Most ways is passive income 
And the other way is if you're like, you know, John Lee Dumas or Tim Ferriss, where you are having advertisement. So I, I have felt that, and I definitely know that it's what I want to do and feel like I can do. So yeah, I get that part. You know, it's, I think there just comes a point where you just take the risk and go, let's do this and see what happens. As long as you obviously have a plan um, and you can still pay your bills. <laughs> so yeah, you know, there's that part as well, but I think it, it does resonate most definitely. It does resonate most definitely. Yeah. I will say, I wish I had taken the risk younger, um, which I know everything worked out how it did, but I also did become a mom very young. Um, mm -hmm. I became a mom at 21 um, accidentally. So I wasn't exactly planning out that part of my life. And sure. so like, oh my gosh, now I'm responsible for a human. And so I think that that, if anything, gave me a sense of fear early on, like, and responsibility too, to be honest. Sure. I'm grateful for that because that keeps me very focused and it keeps me focused on making sure that we're profitable, making sure we can pay our bills that we, because I had kids that allowed me to do that. I almost worry if I would have done this before I had kids, even though it could have been amazing, I would have been fearless. And that scares me a little, but it's mm. also kind of exciting. The whole like, what if, what if I have? Yeah. <laughs> I think that kind of drives us as human beings really is, you know, we're constantly moving forward, but then going, well, what if this, or what if I had started a podcast five years ago? Would I be successful? Would I be, you know, a Harbinger or a Dave Jackson? I don't know. I mean, the list goes on and on, but then part of me is like, well, I'm kind of glad I'm not like them and that I got started when I did because the fact that I'm interviewing such amazing people, to me, that's how I define success is that I'm doing what I enjoy doing. I may not be getting paid for it particularly, but I'm having a blast doing it. And I feel like that I'm using a skill set that I've been given, so to speak, and I'm living the dream. I mean, honestly, like... I don't think you and I would be having this conversation otherwise if we, if I didn't have a podcast, unless I, you know, somehow come across you on the internet and go, Oh, she's going to teach me how to do this or make a video go viral or how to grow my Instagram. Do you understand what I mean? So then it would be a professional service. And that's, I don't know if you know who Steve Sims is. He wrote a book called the art of blue fishing and he's basically he calls himself, they call him the modern day Wizard of Oz. Basically what he does is he helps people make their dreams come true. If they're a celebrity, whatever, let's say you wanted to have dinner with Elton John at a castle in England, his job would be to help facilitate, make that happen. That's essentially what he does. It's very cool. And Steve Sims is another one of these guys who has a similar story to you in the sense of, he was just doing things already, but then realized he was good at it. And so why not charge to do it? And now he's very successful. So it makes sense, you know, to be able to do these types of things and, and just kind of make them happen. So it, it's very clear. And again, I appreciate your honesty in it and just the transparency, but I'm kind of losing my train of thought here, but the whole what if thing it's kind of crazy, you know, especially it can be really good or really bad, <laughs> depending on how you decide to look at it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. Um, it's important not to get lost in it and yeah. also recognize 
that your past what ifs, like from the things that you say what if about in your past, what if those same opportunities are in front of you now today and you're ignoring them while focusing on the what ifs of the past? That's a, a big one that always gets me like, what possibilities am I overlooking that are here now today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. And, you know, always looking forward, you know, not looking behind you because you can get caught up living in regrets. I've done it personally, you know, well, what if my this had gone that way or my that had gone that way? And then you're not working on your success that you have in front of you, which has taken years and years to get where you are. And then you're like, okay, so here we are. Now what? <laughs> you know, how do, we, how do we push this forward? So your expertise is social media, you know, all of these things that have to do with being in the public and getting people out there and helping them build that. Why did you choose that in particular? How did you know this is what I want to focus? Because you could do anything, I think. But why, why do you particularly choose to focus on like, helping people build social media, getting videos to go viral. Like why that in particular? My relationship with social media is kind of funny. Um, Social media was one of the first places I ever saw a different possibility. Okay. Um, When I was 19 years old, I remember I was living with my dad and we had like no money. I mean like literally no extra money. And it was a very, very humble, frugal time. Mm-hmm. And when I was 19 years old, I remember my sister actually read a book by Michael Hyatt and it was called Platform. And she said, Ray, you've got to read this book. It's all about Twitter and why you need to build your platform up on Twitter. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. And I actually didn't listen to the book or didn't read it, didn't listen to her about the book at that time. And it's so funny because I was like, okay, whatever. And meanwhile, I went on Twitter and tweeted at reality stars from TV shows. And before you know it, I started getting attention from these people and we started having conversations and I built oh, a relationship wow. with a major producer of a network television show. And I was like, holy cow, like we ended up emailing for years. And that was like mind blowing for me because I had never experienced something else other than what I knew. Mm-hmm. And I realize it really existed and it was just like right there at my fingertips with Twitter. So Twitter is where my love and passion for social media started. It was that first interaction with these people that I saw on TV where I realized anything's possible. Oh my gosh. It's such a powerful tool and Instagram as well now I think is becoming that sort of thing. Do you think that either one of those platforms have a shelf life? Like eventually something else is going to come along and take over and, you know, Instagram and Twitter will be gone. Cause a lot of people, not you necessarily, but like influencers that I talk a lot to, and I always like to ask them their opinion about it. But do you feel like people who just build their businesses solely on that and nothing else and don't expand or diversify that those things have a shelf life and that, there could potentially be problems for them later down the road. I think if you look at patterns, you can of, of the past of past platforms, you can kind of watch and see what's going to happen. And I never want to assume that any platform has a shelf life. I just know that the pattern is all good things eventually come to an end. And you should always be thinking about 
what happens when this opportunity goes away? Not in a fear-based way, but in a, am I prepared for when this platform goes away? Always be thinking about that with any platform, with any platform. I think that's a good way to answer that question. I appreciate that. And, and I think you're right. There are patterns of how things go. So now fast forward, you've built this massive thing that you have. You, 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 you started out, you did a viral video on purpose, I think is the way you described it with just a little bit of ad revenue. It went viral and then just things kind of took off from there. I want to talk about that sort of thing on Instagram. To me, it seems like it's just a beast all around. And there are certain people that can manage it and work for them. And then others like myself who feel like they're doing okay. And then they just struggle completely. What do you think about that? If that question makes any sense, it's kind of open-ended and sort of leading the witness here a little bit. But I'm kind of curious, like you've had massive success. Do you think that's possible for everybody or kind of what are your thoughts on Instagram as a whole? I will say that Instagram has always been my most challenging platform Okay, Uh, for a lot of different reasons, but with Instagram, I don't think that it's possible for everyone to have massive success on it. The, The opportunity is there for everyone, but I will say that unless you have incredible content, I'm talking whether it's super, super vulnerable viral posts that happen to get picked up a few times in a row, or, I mean, Instagram's known for like its butt selfies or what do they call it, belfies. Like that's <laughs> not my style, but that's another thing that can do really well there. Unless you have an aggressive growth strategy, those things are what you are at the mercy of. So everyone has the opportunity to go massively successful on Instagram. I don't feel that up until this point, I have been massively successful on Instagram, but over the next three months, that's about to turn around because we've sat down and created our plan for the next, you know, three months, but it's, yeah, it's weird. I think you do have to have a plan if you want to be successful on it, because I I have friends that are influencers who do amazing on it. And I text them, I go, how the heck do you do that? Like, what is it you're doing And then she goes into this whole explanation of things and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, that sounds like a lot of work. I think I'll just do my best and uh, make it what I can. Do you feel like as an entrepreneur or someone who's in business, it's important to be on every single platform or do you think you should just own your name on all the platforms and just have one that is a particular focus? Good question. When you were first getting started, Focus on one or two platforms max. Really wrap your arms around them and then you can expand. Um, I don't think it's ever bad to be on multiple platforms, but not if you're not doing any of them well. It's kind of like (laughs) if you go to the gym and you like pick up the five pound weights and you're like, okay, I'm gonna, okay, I'm done there. And then you go on over to like the squatting rack and you do like one squat and you're like, okay, I'm good. And you do like these little bits of things everywhere when you could just really focus on a muscle group, focus there. The next day, focus on another muscle group, depending on your methodology. It, it's as inefficient as picking up like one weight and doing like one rep of each thing. <laughs> I'm <to> good. <laughs> yeah. Ta-da. Um, it's not as helpful as you would think if you're not being consistent 
on any one platform. <laughs> it's funny. The thing you mentioned, the gym that comes to my mind, and I've probably been guilty of this, where they have like the 30 minute circuit where you can do each thing for 30 minutes. And then you're like, I'm set, you know, I'm going to have a six pack or whatever. It's like, no, there's diet, there's exercise, it's discipline. It's really focusing in on just giving everything that you possibly can do, right? And just making the best of it. Well, you're on all these platforms and I can imagine a lot of people reach out to you directly. They want, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? How do you respond to those types of things? People like DMing you or trying to get your attention. Like I have a friend, she's an influencer. It's like, you know, peeking behind the curtain without paying for the show, so to speak. So how do you, how do you manage all of that? Do you get a lot of that? If you do, do you respond? Do you have a team that manages that for you? How does that part of your business work? I work closely with one person on my team and that is my sister and we handle all of the social media platforms together. Um, different seasons require me to be more active versus her. It depends on what our current content plan, what our current um, strategy is, how I'm analyzing the feedback. There's a bunch of different kind of cycles that we have, but when it comes to messages, I'll respond to almost all messages. Like we decide, we decided that we want to respond to almost every single message. Um, but if someone's asking for like free advice, my big thing is I've already answered a lot of this and it's over on my YouTube. I've already answered this on my podcast. Here's a link. Here's a link. Here's a link. Because unless, unless there's multiple people benefiting from something, I don't want to answer it over and over again. You know what I mean? It's like, I get it. I understand. I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. There's a hundred people who walked up to me in a line and each one asked me the same question over and over again. Or if there were five questions that those hundred people wanted to ask, it'd be so much more beneficial to answer them in front of everyone. So everyone gets the same answers. You know what I mean? I get it. Yeah. Or start a podcast and ask whatever you want <laughs> and hopefully get the yeah. answer. You know, I mentioned Devin Carmichael. He was telling me about a lot of times he gets DMs and he will do a video response sometimes on his like feed. To, like he said, he'll get people ask him, how do I get a blue check mark? And he's like, really? That's like the one question that you want to ask me? Like you've got my attention, you've hacked the system and that's really what you want to know. Are you sure that's the question you want to ask? And then usually they'll bounce back and go, oh, I'm kidding. Ha, ha, ha. I really want to know about this. You probably, if you listen to all my episodes, like generally speaking, anytime I talk to an entrepreneur, this story always comes up. But it just rings true to me that, you know, you have a certain amount of time. Make sure that your question counts, right? Would, would you say that's the key in all of this? Absolutely. And even if it's just curiosity, um, ask something different. Like I've answered a lot of the standard questions in different <laughs> places over and over, you know? Yeah. Um, I personally get really fascinated by learning the questions that other people aren't asking. Sure. So when a, a famous entrepreneur or a celebrity is on a talk show, I'm like, please ask them something different. If you ask them something different, I'm going to love this interview. I love hearing how we're similar, how we're different, or how they're just like my best friend, you know? Sure. So, yeah, I think if you have 
if you have a moment to connect, either ask a question or even better, do a give to the influence. Yeah, that's the thing is, you know, it's, it's, it's not one-sided. You bring value, I bring value. Now we've got a relationship, you know, and I try and keep that with as many of my guests as possible, some sort of connection on a certain level because I don't, it's not just contractual, you know, it's not like, okay, you're here, I'm here, we're talking, and then we're never going to connect again. I can imagine, you have so much free content out there, it's crazy. You have a YouTube video on how to make a video go viral. I mean, that, that's right there for the world to get. So if you got some crazy YouTuber or whoever that wants to, how do I make a video go viral? Well, here, watch this free content, and I'll tell you. But then you have a whole nother side where you people can pay you and you can help them. And I think that's how people appreciate true value is if there's money involved. Would you, would you agree with that statement? Like if I'm paying you for a service, I'm going to value that more, right? Versus if you give me something for free, that's cool, I'll watch it. But if I really want to know how to do something, you know, we're going to pay in some kind of currency, right? Either time or money. For sure. I think that I've, I've done both, but I've never appreciated something that's given to me for free unless I am currently in dire need of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I think that free content is only so valuable and then it's time for people to get some skin in the game. It's very true. You know, there's a lot of people, I think that's important. Mm-hmm. I think if you pay for something, you're going to value it way more than if you don't, if you don't pay for it, right? Because then you're like, oh boy, um, this isn't of much value to me. I'm not going to really care about it, right? I, I really appreciate that. You've just been so honest and forward about all of this, which I, I appreciate. And I think that brings such great value. So if people wanted to connect with you or find out more about you, how do they go about doing that? Oh my gosh. Check me out on all social media platforms. I'm the Mrs. Peterson, all E's in a D. Or if you can't find me, you can go to my website, rachelpeterson.com. All E's in a D. That's why I always say, oh my gosh, because it's all E's in a D. It's um, a little challenging to spell, but rachelpeterson.com. You can find everything you need from YouTube videos to um, blog posts to all of my social platforms there. And all of her information, of course, is going to be available in our show notes. And she is everywhere. So what's next for you? Like you're kind of in a season you mentioned early on in our interview when we started, where you're just kind of slowing things down a bit. What are you working on? What can you talk about that we can look forward to more amazing content? There's a big thing coming up. And I'm really excited about this. It is called 60 Days to a Million Followers. And that is all I'm going to (laughs) say. You heard it here first, folks. 60 Days to a Million Followers. I'm interested. You got my attention. So So excited. That's all I can say. I can see it on your face. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have looked forward to that. And you also, of course, have a podcast. I I don't want to forget to mention that. That is important too. Um, So you're a fellow podcaster, so we get that. And that's still continuing on as well, or are you going to kind of take a break with that while you're doing a break on other stuff? 
We've been taking a little break from it, not an official break, but more of a, the podcast isn't our main area of focus. Okay. But we're starting it up again in the next month. Okay. We, did, we had to really create the plan for the next 90 days, especially the next 60. And so that's really important. Um, that was our main focus. And the podcast is awesome. I love it. I just wanted to make sure that we were very clear about what our next target was for the kind of for the quarter or the pseudo quarter because it's the next 90 days from here on out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome things coming. Thank you, Rachel, so much for being here today. It was an honor chatting with you. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Brett. This was awesome. Thanks for choosing to join in to this week's episode. Be sure to follow the show on social media. Brett's open mic on all platforms and to subscribe to the show on your player of choice, which is absolutely free. Finally, please consider sharing this episode with a friend. Every little bit helps. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.